Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. We just uh, heard a song about God's faithfulness. Now we're going to hear a story about God's faithfulness. Mark Brooks um, is, is uh, from Rui Doso, right? He lives up in Rui Doso, and he's a, he's a member at Calvary Chapel up at, up at Rui Doso with a buddy of mine, a... Uh, Alan Stoddard, who is co-pastoring or something up there. So, uh, but um, Jan uh, Moon had approached us a while back and said, uh, I'd, I'd met Mark, well, I'd met him over the phone. And the reason I met him on the phone is because I, I called him a couple of years ago and asked him to serve on an SBC committee, which I think you did, if I remember right. So um, he got to go to, to Nashville, I think, as part of that. And uh, so, but this morning we're grateful to have Mark here sharing his testimony about God's faithfulness in his own life. So you please welcome Mark Brooks. Mark Bryant. I'm sorry. Right. Brooks Bryant. I've been called much worse. <laughs> um, first of all, I want to apologize to you. Uh, I live in Rio Doso. We have natural air conditioning up there. We should have brought you guys up there instead of me coming down here. It would have been a lot better, <laughs> but this is really not bad at all. Um, lovely church. When I first got asked to do this, I, I really thought hard about it. Um, in fact, it took me a couple of weeks to get back to jam on it, and um, I didn't know where to start. And this is where I was born and raised. Um, this is the church that I came to know Christ at, right up in the balcony up here. <laughs> we sat in the balcony because mom and dad had to corral four boys. <laughs> my brother, myself, my younger uncle, and our next door neighbor. And some of you know them. Uh, Brian Gary still lives here. Um, very good friends. We ran around together many years and grew in Christ together in church. Um, we stayed here until I was a teenager, then we moved to Bethel, which uh, my uncle was the preacher up there. So we got to stay in family together, and, and we still have a very strong family. I, I want to report to you, um, I'm, I'm glad that Alan Stoddard has friends, and uh, <laughs> counts, <laughs> counts them among those. Um, Riodos is doing great. We're out witnessing, we're on the streets, we are accepting people. And I gotta tell you, if you're not willing to accept everybody, this is just a club. That's right. Unless we accept everybody as blood Christians and blood brothers and sisters, this is just a club, guys. Okay, we all bleed the same, just like the song says. Um, we're doing well. Uh, the church we're in has grown. We bought a new building. We've outgrown the building. We're now at three services. We have one on Saturday night. Um, so the church in Rio Dos is doing great. And I am here today to tell you to count it all joy. Okay? Growing up here and being in my uncle's church was a unique situation. Uh, my cousin, who graduated with me in high school here, was the preacher's daughter. So I got to see that side of it also. 
and I got to see my side of it and the whole dating thing that we went through and, and life that we went through. As I went through that, it taught me my spirituality. I not only came from that church, but I'm like third or fourth generation of Southern Baptist. Okay? My grandfather didn't even have cards or movies or any of those dice in his house. <laughs> Would not allow it. Um, and it, it, was, it was a way of life back then that was different than it is now. And what we see growing now is a pulling away from the church or a watered-down Christianity. I grew up, and God brought to me my helpmate. And without her, I wouldn't be standing here now. It's just fact of life. She noticed that I was not doing well before anybody else did. In fact, a year before anybody else noticed it. And I got to tell you, that as a Christian, you will, at some point, your body will fail you. Either in young age or in old age, uh, a knee. <laughs> God is faithful to our spirit, but our bodies are susceptible to original sin. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they got that original sin, our bodies became weak. Um, my background a little bit is engineering, and I have this theory that I've kind of thought about for many years and kind of worked out. And what God did with Adam and Eve is he gave them both all the genetic material and everything that they needed for humanity, for all of us. Now, as an engineer, and the second law of thermodynamics says that everything breaks down. Everything gets worse unless you put energy into it. And that's what our bodies are doing. As more generations go, we get weaker. Not only genetically, but mentally. What we need to do is put energy into our spirituality. Into our spirit that God gave us. If we put energy into that, we can secure not only our place in heaven, but our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors. But you got to put energy into it. When I first got diagnosed with cancer, and, and, and i got to tell you, my wife, we had, we had been on a vacation, we came back, we had the flu, we'd been at the airports and all that stuff, and we got real bad flu, and we went into the doctor, and um, <clears throat> she made me go to the doctor. I thought I was getting over it. Um, I had been losing body mass. Uh, everywhere except for here. <laughs> um, and I just accounted it to, I sit at a desk now. I'm not doing the things I did. I'm not walking. I'm not running. I'm not doing all that. And I just counted it to age and inactivity. We went into the doctor, and the doctor who go, went to our church at the time came into the room and said, Mark, you need to come to the grips that you may have cancer. That was nothing more than God. There's no way he could tell. He looked at me. That's all he did. He didn't give me an exam. And I was just shocked. And me being who I am, I just said, well, okay, fine. And uh, it turned out we went through testing right away. Um, my daughter, who's a vet, 
got online and made phone calls to doctors and decided who was best and got us in there. And I gotta tell you, when your body fails you, you go through certain emotions. Um, anger is one of them, uh, shock. But once that wears off, as a Christian, as a Christian, and if you're not a Christian here, here today, I need to tell you, you can't make a better decision. Okay? He is faithful to our spirit. So as a Christian, you turn back to the scriptures, and you turn back to prayer, and, and you ask God, why? Why me? And it comes back to original sin. When I went through that, and my wife would stay at the hospital and hold my hand, and I gotta tell you, I don't remember the operation, I don't remember coming out of the operation, thankfully. I'm very thankful for that. But when she was holding my hand, I knew that God was there holding my hand too. That's all there was to it. I knew that my spirit was going to be there. And I knew that I could count all that toward joy because God was going to give me another chance with my kids and my grandkids. Um, when I say count it all joy, I mean that. I woke up and I knew God's presence was there. There's a t-shirt out right now that says, um, luck had nothing to do with it. You have no idea how many people were praying for me. And that is exactly right. Your prayers as the saints mean more than anything. You can change God's mind. You can. God has will. Everything works together for him, for those who love him and work toward his purpose. So that's what I'm here to tell you about, is working toward his purpose. Count it all joy. Count it all joy that you have the opportunity to influence your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, the people you work with. Take that opportunity. Your testimony to them may be the only testimony they ever hear in their lives. And that's what's important. Not that I went through cancer. Not that you're going to go through a knee operation. Not that we have brain cancers and, and stomach cancers and automobile wrecks. That's really not what counts. What counts is what we do with that. Are you going to count it toward Christ? Are you going to use it for Christ? Or are we going to introspect and just come into ourselves? I didn't do this on my own. It wasn't luck. It was the prayers of you guys out there. And man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Um, I'm pretty certain my wife appreciates it too. There are days. <laughs> um, when you come to Christ, give it all to Him. That's all there is to it. Don't hold anything back. This body will fail you at some point. Count it all joy. Count it all joy, guys. All right, take your Bibles. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, do you ever come to one of those passages in the Bible, and when you read it, it's so wildly countercultural that you think there's absolutely no way this means what it says? It's not possible. 
This doesn't fit into a 21st century culture. Uh, well, this morning we find ourselves in one of those texts that you might read and, and on the surface say, wait, say what? Is, is, Paul, is Paul serious right here? And so let me just say, for, for one thing, if you're visiting with us this morning, um, I didn't just pull 1 Timothy chapter 2 right out of the air, okay, and say, hey, let's talk about women in ministry this morning, and, and, and let's, let's go right where Paul says, um, I don't permit a woman to teach, women should stay silent, and, and that seems like fun, let's just run with that. Um, no, so I'm, I'm walking through 1 Timothy, the way we do things here is um, most of the time I, I preach straight through books of the Bible, which forces us into texts that are maybe a little bit uncomfortable and, and oftentimes unfamiliar and forces us not just to, to wrestle with these passages, but to wrestle with them within the larger picture of, uh, in this case, the, the book of First Timothy, in the larger uh, context of the New Testament, and ultimately in, in the full context of Scripture itself. And so this morning we're going to look at First Timothy chapter 2, uh, we're, we're going to pick up in verse 8 and read through verse 15. All right, so if you have your Bible open, and uh, let's stand together as we read the word the Lord has given to us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come this morning to a difficult passage. In some ways, a difficult passage to understand exactly what Paul's saying. And so we pray this morning for an extra measure of grace as we, as we handle a, a passage that certainly the culture at large would not understand. And so we pray that, we're, that, that as your people, where your spirit reigns, that you'll open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see what you have to say to us this morning through your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, you can take a seat. Thank you. All right, so, so this morning we come to a place where we're going to ask, what does the Bible say about gender roles in the church? What, what does the Bible say about, about things that men do and the things that women do within the context of a local church? Um, now, this is, I don't think it's stepping out of bounds to say this is probably one of the most controversial passages, particularly over the last hundred years or so, and, and even more so over the past, like, 60, um, since, the, since the so-called sexual revolution. All right, so uh, a couple of things we want to keep in mind. We have to read scripture in light of its original context and then seek application in our own context, all right? So... Uh, so some parts of this passage are incredibly difficult, especially verse 15. We'll, we'll get to that um, at the end of our time here this morning, right? And there, there are some things about the original audience that, that we simply don't know. But we believe that all scriptures God breathed. 
See that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right? So our culture does not determine for us what scripture means. Our script, the scripture determines how we respond to the culture around us. So what, what, what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, if it's true that all scriptures God breathed, like there's no part of scripture that we can just go, well, but that doesn't really apply now. Like, like yes, this, this part's God's word, but this part's not. And, and especially as we've been walking through 1 Timothy, like we, we don't get to just pick and choose which, which parts we're going to say apply to us today. Uh, now, there, there are some parts that will apply differently, uh, so, but it's, a, it's also important to note it, that we have to remember that Scripture does not contradict itself, right? So two principles. Um, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. So because all Scripture is God-breathed, we have to see it in context with itself. This is a reminder that, that the Bible is a collection of 66 books. It's not, just, it's not a single book on, on your bookshelf. It's a collection. It is a library in and of itself. Written by more than 40 authors over a period of about 1,600 years. And we believe that it's the holy inspired word of God in its entirety, but also in its individual units. So we believe that all scripture is inspired, but at the same time, we believe that 1 Timothy is as inspired as Matthew, is as inspired as Exodus. So each sentence, each paragraph, each book is inspired by God, all right? So when we come to a difficult passage like this, particularly one that, that will rub our, our culture the wrong way and, and may even as, as believers, I would dare say, like we read this and we go, wait, like really? What's, what's he getting out there? When, when that happens, so we, we have to remember we approach these not with uh, any kind of arrogance, not with any kind of, you know, shaking the fist, it's my way or the highway, but, but with a great deal of prayer, a great deal of humility. And it's also to, to note um, Things like what we're dealing with this morning, like women in ministry, are secondary issues. What I mean by that is these are not salvation-level issues. So, so men and women um, who believe the Bible, who love God, who, who, who serve Christ well, will disagree over this passage. All right, so this is not like a litmus test of, well, what do you believe about women in ministry? Well, if you don't agree with me, you're not saved. Okay? There are some issues for which we would say that's the case. Salvation by grace alone. Right? If, you, if you believe like you're saved by what you do and not by what Christ has done, well, we would say there's a, that's a salvation issue. The Bible as God's word, we would say, is a salvation issue. Um, but secondary issues such as like what, what the role of the gifts of the Spirit are, the, the role of women in ministry, uh, beliefs about the end times, those kind of things we would say are, are secondary issues. They're important. We can't just dismiss them, but they're not primary salvation level issues, all right? So what we're going to see is, is Paul deals with men, with women, and then with, with their roles together, okay? So in verse 8, we see Paul really addressing men who divide in the local church. So, so men who are being divisive in the church. Now, we closed out our time last week in verse 8, but it really serves as a bridge between these two, so it fits right in with where we're going today, too. Verse 8, therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, without anger 
or argument. Now, what we've already looked at in 1 Timothy is that in this church in Ephesus, there were apparently some, some folks in the church, maybe even some elders, some, some teachers who were teaching false doctrine or were dividing the church. And so Paul comes in and, and to the men, he would say, I don't want you to be divisive men, but I want you to be united. And, and not just, uh, Adrian Rogers had a great quote where he said, um, you know, we, we don't get together just for the sake of unity. You and I, he said, you and I don't have to get together. There, there are some things that are worth fighting for. There are hills to die on and, and things that if we don't agree on, um, we, we will have to part fellowship. And the church, as I said, those are things like salvation by grace alone. The Bible as God's word. But, but in, the, in this church, we see then that there were, there were some men who were, making, uh, who were causing division over secondary, maybe even third level issues. There were some who were teaching false doctrine and, and Paul's already addressed them and said, no, no, like, we're going to hand them over to Satan. In other words, we're kicking them out because what they're teaching is so destructive. But, but there are others who are just nitpicking, right? Now, I know in a church today, we would never experience anything like this, right? And Paul's saying, listen, I, I want men, I want you to lead out in this to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. I always said last week, you know, it's, it's really difficult to uh, be angry at someone whom you're praying for regularly. It's even more difficult, I think, to be angry with someone, uh, angry at someone with whom you, you are praying regularly. So could it be that, that, that the little petty um, divisions and, and petty arguments that we have come from a lack of prayer in our churches? So that's the first thing he addresses is, is, is men, all right? So even though we're going to spend some time focusing on women, uh, women, I wanted to let you know, the men are not off the hook here, okay? So um, men, don't, don't fo be so focused on anger and quarreling. But then he moves on and he, he addresses women who distract. And so he says, um, I want... Uh, also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. Now, again, we're, we have one side of this conversation, all right? So, so from that, we have to deduce kind of what's going on here. And apparently what was happening is there were some women in this church in Ephesus who were showing up to the gatherings um, dressed in all kinds of elaborate hairstyles and, and pearls and drawing attention to themselves. And Paul's simply saying uh, that it's not the place for that. You don't gather at church for people to look at you. We gather as the local church so that our attention can be focused on Christ. He's simply saying this was distracting. So this isn't saying, now, now in, in our culture, all right, unless um, we're going like the way of Mennonites, which we're not, we're going to say this looks a little bit differently for us. No, no one's banning gold jewelry. No, no one's banning nice hairstyles. What we are saying is we don't want to dress, and, and men, this applies to us too. We don't want to dress, we don't want to act in certain ways when we're gathered with the body to distract, to draw attention to ourselves and off of um, worshiping God. Then we get to this uh, verse in, uh, verses 11 and 12. Really, 11 down through 14. 
It says, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and was transgressed. And so the question that we have to ask here is, is this prescriptive, meaning uh, for all time? From the first century until whenever Jesus returns, is this, is this a, a doctrine that, that Paul was laying out for all time? Or is this descriptive, meaning it was describing the ways that, that Paul wanted things to operate within this individual culture? Some of this, I, I think we're going to see some of both, okay? And here's why I say that. Uh, so, for instance, verse 11. I do not, uh, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. So does that mean that, that when women show up to church that they're not supposed to talk at all? No, and here's, here's why I say that. Our context is a little bit differently here. Um, in their context, what, what you would have is the men kind of sitting at the front and the women and the children sitting at the back of, of the gathering. And as you can imagine, the women sitting at the back with the children, uh, at times they would miss something that was said because of a kid screaming or, you know, something. And so what would happen is you'd have a lady at the back, hey, Frank, Frank, what did he say? Did you hear what the preacher just said? Okay. Then, Dave, I didn't catch that either. Can you tell me what he said? Okay, so, so you'd, you'd have kind of these distractions. Or, or even, you know, come on, hey, hey, did you hear what he said? I didn't, I missed it. I missed number three on my notes. What was it? <laughs> and so you have this kind of distraction going on. So, so, so what Paul's saying here is, is Wait, okay, and in fact, in 1 Corinthians, he'll even say, uh, wait and ask your husband when you get home so as not to distract from, from the worship gathering, okay? So, so a woman is to learn quietly in full submission. If you miss something, we'll get to it later, okay? Don't disrupt the gathering in order to, um, to, to, to fill out your outline. That's, that's simply what he's getting at there, I think. Then we get into 12. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. So again, if, if the first one we could say is somewhat descriptive, then we come to this one. Is this prescriptive or is this descriptive? The difference here is Paul ties this into creation, into the order of creation. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, really quickly, what we need to understand is that in the role of teaching here, Again, I said, we look at this in context. What, what we see here is he's about to address the roles and the qualifications of elders in the beginning of chapter 3, which we'll look at next week. Elders one, whose primary role is teaching. So we don't separate these out. So, so I'm going to say here that when he says, I don't allow a woman to teach, he's talking about the roles of elders or what we would call pastor. And, and he'll flesh this out a little bit next week. So, so the issue, the issue here is, is how has God set up um, our world to operate? How has God set up our gender roles? As I shared back in July, June or July, when we were walking through the Baptist faith and message, we said that we as Southern Baptists hold to a, an understanding of gender roles that's called complementarianism, meaning there are separate roles for men and for women because of the way God has designed us. And, and I think I said then, case in point, childbirth. Right? That is a strictly female role. 
We, men, we can't do it for a number of reasons. We don't have the pain tolerance most of the time, right? We don't have the patience. We, but, but physically, we can't do it. God, God has not designed our bodies to, to bear children. And so we simply say that, that within our gender roles, there are not that there's a separate, separation of values, but that there are distinct roles. Okay, so, so in verse... Uh, verse 8, we saw men who divide. Verse, verses 9 and 10, we saw women who distract. And then verses 11 through 15, we see roles that are distinct. Now, there are two extremes that we want to avoid here. And, and two extremes that I think the, the church has fallen off one side or the other throughout history. The first is the demeaning of women. Saying, well, because women can't teach, they're somehow devalued in the life of the church. And that's not the case. That should never be our goal because uh, maybe you've seen, if you've been a part of a church, I'm willing to say you've, you've seen this, I've seen this. No church that I've ever been a part of could operate without women stepping into key roles. We never want to demean women. But the second extreme is disregarding Scripture. Simply, simply writing off, well, that doesn't apply anymore. Or, well, yeah, that's what it means, but, but what it... You know, take a Huffington Post. If you ever read a Huffington Post religion, this is kind of their aim. Here's what the Bible says, but here's why what the Bible says is not really what the Bible means. Um, so, right? So we, we, we have to avoid those two, um, th- those two fills. And I think it's also important to, to say that when we're looking here, Paul's addressing life strictly within the, role, within the life of the church. And so there are other questions in, in the public square, but, but to take this and say, well, a woman should never be mayor of a, of a city, I think is taking this too far and, and making Scripture say something that Scripture doesn't say. Paul here is concerned with the life of the church, not with the life of the Roman government. So we see clearly in Scripture that men and women are of equal value and of equal worth in the kingdom of God, right? Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. This doesn't mean that females are somehow less in the image of God than, than men are. And then later on, uh, Galatians 3.28. Paul says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Men and women have distinct roles within the church, but they are of equal value before God. All right, so really quickly, let me address a false belief and that, or a false statement, and that is that women can't serve in ministry. Women minister all the time. All right, in our own church, we have uh, women serving in children's and youth ministries. We have Sunday school teachers. We have women on every committee. All right, now, now the truth is then, so if, if the, the false statement is that women can't serve in ministry. The truth is that the Bible restricts certain roles to certain men, specifically that of elder and deacon. All right, so, so then what of, what of women who would say, well, they have the role of the, or the gift of teaching? Well, and women who have the gift of teaching are free to use it under the authority of of the pastor, the elders, whom God has charged with overseeing the church and under the authority of Scripture. And so this is where the question of, well, what about Sunday school teachers comes up? And, it's, and if, if I'm honest, this is a bit, I think, of a gray area. 
Because what we have Paul addressing here, I believe, is that of elders. Not, not of necessarily small groups, but we have, we have Paul addressing the role of elders, saying, I don't allow women to teach in that role. So let me, let me bring this up, men, um, because I think this is important for us as well. Don't punt the ball on the roles that God has called us to lead in. Here's what I mean by that. We, we, I believe we should have men serving in our nursery. We should have men serving in our children's and in our youth ministries. We should have men who are able to teach Sunday school classes and Bible studies. And, and, and yet, now I'm not saying we need men to replace women in all of those roles, but we need men. And so here's what I'm, well, here's what I'm saying. Oftentimes when we have a need in the church and we put it out there for a need, we, have a, we need a children's class. You know what we hear from the men? Crickets. Not always, not, not always. When we say we have a need in the nursery, do you know what we hear from the men? Crickets. Men don't punt on the responsibilities that God has given us to lead. So the Bible, yes, even Paul has great respect for women and, sh- and shows, how, shows us how women were influential in the first century church. So if you want to talk about uh, one of the criticisms is, well, the Bible demeans women. The Bible doesn't treat women with respect and nothing could be farther from the truth, especially when you consider the first century context where women were little more than property. Because what we see is that women were the first ones to see the resurrected Christ in the empty tomb. In a day and age when a woman was not even legally able to testify in court because it was assumed that her word wasn't trustworthy, women were the first ones to see the empty tomb. They go running back to the disciples and the disciples' response is, wait, we don't believe you. So we're going to take off and go see. Now, in the disciples' defense, none of us has ever seen a dead guy come back to life, right? I mean, that, that's abnormal. So. Let's, let's cut the disciples just a little bit of slack. Because in my case, I don't care who comes and tells me, I'm probably going to, to check it out for myself. Um, we see uh, that women explain the gospel. For instance, uh, in, in Acts chapter 18, Paul talks about um, this couple named Priscilla and Aquila who took a man aside and explained the way and the work of God to him. We see some women worked with Paul. So at the end of Romans 16, he mentions uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Um, and, and there was a church that met in their home. In Acts 17, we see that in, uh, in the church in Philippi, uh, there was a lady by the name of Lydia who, who was serving in that local church. So the Bible has great respect for women, so should we. But and the, and the Bible makes clear that men and women are of equal value and equal worth with distinct roles in the church. We should recognize this and rejoice with it. All right, so, so here's what we mean. Neither man nor woman are independent of one another, right? Without women, there would be no men. Without men, there would be no women. Okay? We, we are connected. We have great, we should have great respect one another. Now we get to verse 15. One of the most uh, obscure verses in, in all the Bible, and I love when I'm reading a, a commentary on a verse, and, and 
the commentators will go to great lengths, spend two or three pages, and at the end, their uh, conclusion is, we don't really know what, we, what this means. <laughs> We're going to take three pages to explain it, but eh, who knows, right? So um, more than likely, all right, so again, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Paul is not saying that a woman will experience salvation by bearing a child. So verse 15 says, but she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. All right, so, so Paul's not saying, ladies, that salvation, your salvation depends on bearing a child or that you can be saved by bearing a child because we, we know the Bible teaches salvation by grace alone through faith alone. So what he is probably um, referring to here is um, some, some sort of a preservation, a, a, a saving of a family line. Women, your, your family heritage will be saved through bearing children. Um, but, but also, bearing children is, is one of the primary ways we make disciples, is it not? I mean, what better way to make disciples than to have a little disciple in your house for 18 years? So through that, we, we get to pass on the faith to the next generation. All right, so, so again, we don't want to take verses and, and difficult verses. I had a professor in college who always said this. Um, you don't want to build a doctrine out of obscure verses. Right? So you want to take like this one verse out of here. Well, what does that say? Well, it clearly says this, except that's not what it can say because of what the Bible says here. So you don't want to just take one verse and, and run with it and make it, take it farther than, than it um, is meant to go. So in, in the end, here are three things that God desires for his church, okay? First of all, that we would be unified in holiness. I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or division. Secondly, that we'd be focused on his glory. That when we gather together as the church, we're not, we're not hoping to draw attention to ourselves. We want to remain focused on Christ. And then finally, that we would glorify him in the distinct roles that he's given to each of us. See, if we believe the Bible, we believe that God is the creator, then, then nothing has happened by accident, right? So, so we would say, again, this is very countercultural, particularly today, which when it comes to gender roles has gone off the deep end and then a little bit farther. Okay, so where they would say, no, 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 our gender is an accident. If, if, I'm, if, I have, if I'm a male in my body, but I feel like I'm a female, um, I, I should fix that. And, and we would simply say, no, God does not make mistakes. If you're male, God has designed you that way for a purpose. If you're female, God has designed you that way for a purpose. And where that confusion comes in goes right back to what Mark was sharing about in his testimony. It takes us back to Genesis 3, where there was a fracturing of creation. We don't operate, we don't live in a world that operates the way God intended it to. But for people of God, we don't get to use that as an excuse. Well, the world's broken, so, so I should just rejoice in my brokenness. No, because the whole message of the gospel is that God came to restore brokenness. And we, as God's as the people of God, as followers of Christ, are to be agents of restoration and reconciliation in the world around us. Part of that is identifying the roles that God's given us as men, as women, some of us as teachers, 
some of us as learners, but to use the gifts that God has given us within the body of Christ for what? What does Paul say? For the edification, for the building up of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the great opportunity that we have to gather and to worship. And we pray that everything we say and do will bring glory and honor to you. I pray that we as a church would be committed to your word. That we'd be committed to glorifying you in the roles that you've given us as men and women and children. As Sunday school teachers, as Sunday school class members, as church members, as nursery workers sound and video operators, whatever, whatever role you've called us to in the church. Will you glorify yourself? Will you use those roles to build up the body of Christ here? When we approach some, some things and we bristle in ourselves because we, we don't exactly understand or maybe because it, it seems so foreign to the culture that we've been raised in, rather than simply getting angry and walking away, will you cause us to go back to your word? And spend time in prayer and in your words, seeking your plans. Where we're out of line with your word, whether that be in our personal lives or in, in the life of your church, would you give us the courage and the grace to correct that? That our lives and our churches would look more like you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.